Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anish Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about cancer disparities in the community with Dr. Beth Jones and Monique Stefanu. Dr. Jones is a research scientist and lecturer in epidemiology, and Ms. Stefanu is a community health educator at the Yale School of Public Health. Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology at the Yale School of Medicine. Beth, maybe we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and what it is you do. In the course of my own research, I've really focused, I'm trained as a cancer epidemiologist, but I have focused primarily on cancer disparities. Um, and uh, in more recent years, I've been uh, engaged with, with Monique and others on our team in uh, what we call community outreach and engagement, basically finding ways to translate the research findings, not just my own, of course, but from other investigators at the Cancer Center and from other investigators in other parts of the world and nationally into um, community action. And Monique, tell us a bit more about yourself and what you do. Yes. Hello, my name is Monique Stefano, and I am a community health educator. Um, for the past four years, I've been working in the greater New Haven area and throughout the state of Connecticut to talk to community members about cancer screening and prevention. It's my goal to make sure that people understand what that means, as well as helping people with lifestyle interventions to make sure that they're doing all that they can do to stay healthy. So that's kind of a little bit in a nutshell about the work that I've been doing. Great. So, Beth, back to you. You know, you mentioned that your work really has focused on disparities. Tell us a little bit more about what you mean by disparities and what kind of things fall into that bucket. So it's it's a it's a big bucket. Um, so in in terms of cancer disparities, what I have been interested in what many people are interested in is um, looking at outcomes in cancer across different racial ethnic groups or socioeconomic groups. And the disparities are when we see um, a difference between groups, but there's really, uh, it shouldn't be there. In other words, there's really no, um, we, we try to explain why it's occurring, but it's, it suggests that there's an unfairness or um, a problem in perhaps it's the way we're delivering healthcare that, that uh, benefits some groups more, advantages some groups, um, and disadvantages others. So that's in a nutshell sort of thinking about cancer disparities. And so, Monique, how, how, have you, how has your work really tried to look at these disparities and, and potentially ameliorate them? Absolutely. So we have something that we are working on right now where it's, we're helping community members, um, first of all, get access to the knowledge they need to know what it is that we need to do to stay healthy as it relates to prevention. But then we also have things where there are programs where we try to help people with what we call social determinants of health needs. So we know that there are different things that also affect somebody's health, which we may not think about when you first think about it. For instance, um, getting people access to transportation or helping somebody if they need help with um, getting just groceries or things like that. So we try to get rid of the barriers that might stand in the way of somebody um, living a healthy life. 
And so, Beth, can we dive in a little bit more into the research? You had mentioned that your work has really focused on taking research, hard science, and translating that into the community. So talk a little bit more about um, some of these research uh, areas and, and research findings that have led to disparities. Is it a, a lack of education or is it really these social determinants of health or is it other things or is it kind of a mix of everything? Well, I think you just hit it on the head. It's it's clearly a mix of everything. But I think that um, what we've seen over the last few years. So when I started off, I was really interested in breast cancer, an area that you're really familiar with, and, and just trying to figure out why it was that some women, in this case, they were black women um, compared to white women, were being diagnosed at a later stage of their illness. And because of that, we know that it, it affects treatment and, and, and outcomes. Um, how pe- how long people, you know, their survivorship. So it becomes really important. But I think over time, um, well, we've always understood that that individuals um, live in a context, they live in a society. And so what we've been focusing a little bit more on and the work that Monique and I are now engaged in focuses a little bit more on what we call those upstream factors. So while access to care is one important issue, and there's also other factors that contribute to a, a disparity in outcome. But we actually recognize that it's these social determinants of health, these racial ethnic differences, which at a structural level are, um, are, are, uh, differ across our groups, different population groups. And those things actually um, probably determine uh, many of the other factors that are closer to the health outcome. So, so yes, it is about, in the state of Connecticut, we have a lot of residential segregation. We know that in our cities, there's a concentration of both people of color and low socioeconomic groups. And we see the cancer burden in the state occur mostly in um, those populations. And so, Monique, to you, I mean, it seems to me that, you know, when we're thinking about these groups, these low socioeconomic status groups, um, often of particular racial or ethnic minorities, people who have been marginalized, that some of the things that you were mentioning, like, you know, things that others might take for granted, like I'm going to go pick up groceries, are often really difficult um, if you're living in an area where there is no supermarket or no healthy options for food. You might be working several jobs and just don't have time uh, to get to a grocery store. So your only option is the local convenience store, which might not have uh, the world's greatest nutrition. How do you overcome that? That's. I'm so glad that you asked that. Um, part of the work that I do is I'm a health navigator. So 50% of my time, I'm a community health educator. And the other 50%, I'm a health navigator. And what I do is I use a system to be able to map resources to where somebody lives. So a lot of times, let somebody say, they have a need for um, getting healthy foods. They may not know, even if they live in the community, they may not know where in my community can I do that, especially if they don't have a place, like maybe there are only corner stores that are close to them and that's where they do their grocery shopping. So as a health navigator, I'm able to look at New Haven or look at where the person lives and let them know, you know what, there's a local grocery store, there's a farmer's market over here and they come on Saturdays at 10 o'clock. So I'm able to look at what are their needs and then for my level, I can see what resources exist to kind of help with those barriers. And 
You know, Beth, oftentimes I find that uh, the racial ethnic groups and the socioeconomic status, they kind of get conflated because so often they're they're correlated. Um, do you find that one of those drivers is more significant than the other in terms of disparities? Because certainly, you know, if you have a very affluent uh, African-American individual, um, you know, they may not have the same kinds of barriers that uh, somebody who may be Caucasian, but may be in a, a very low socioeconomic status might have. And so trying to kind of weed out, is this genetics or is this socioeconomics? Any thoughts there? Well, it's sort of the million dollar question. And I would just say it's it's it can be a little bit of both, but I think generally when we think about disparities, these are issues that we think are modifiable. We can fix them. Um, and, and so as Monique was just talking about our navigation program, it's a, it's a, um, smaller, you know, relatively small effort, but it's certainly an important one. Um, if we, if we consider that somebody who's worried about not having enough food to pay to feed their family, um, has a hard time then prioritizing their doctor appointment to say get a mammogram or or even for care sometimes, so that's how it all kind of fits together. But in terms of your bigger question, um, you know, basically, uh, I think we generally consider that much of this is driven by factors in society, which are which has to do with the unequal distribution of our resources, and to the extent that in a society where um, uh, there is racism. There is sort of at a structural level s systems that are set up so some groups benefit and others don't. So in that case, the the socioeconomic factors do um, kind of uh, come through the system and impact individuals. Um, you're absolutely correct. I think most people, you know, we do know from that that um, you know that. People are more similar across racial ethnic groups than they are different. We share, you know, similarities in DNA. So while it's possible that there are some factors that are genetic and might track more in one group or another, um, my feeling is that most of what we deal with in a disparities level is really about factors that are linked to resources and unequal distribution of resources. And, and to be blunt about socioeconomic factors. Yeah. And so, Monique, you know, this brings us to the question of uh, poverty. <laughs> I mean, the the ultimate uh, issue, it seems, in so many cases, is, is a lack of resources or, or simply, um, you know, poverty. And so it may not be knowing that there's a farmer's market, but actually having the resources to be able to afford the foods that are offered at that farmer's market. And so, you know, what are people to do in that circumstance? That's, I'm so glad that you brought that up because it is true. It's not necessarily about knowing that there are resources, but then how can you afford the resources? And that's why even with our program, we look for programs that are either free or low cost. And we also advocate for the community. I remember one of the um, current organizations that we work with as far as, let's say, uh, physical activity. We actually went to that organization and said, you know what, would you be able to do a reduced cost program for members of the community? Because not everybody can afford to go to the gym. And they worked with us and we were able to actually solidify that. So we're both 
finding resources for community members, but we're also advocating for these resources to be free or low cost so that poverty doesn't become a barrier for somebody living a healthy life. So, you know, Beth, this is tremendous that uh, you and Monique are, are doing this work um, in in the greater New Haven area, but our, our listeners um, actually hail from a, a larger population than that. And so what are people to do when they're faced with a cancer diagnosis? And that in and of itself causes a, a strain, both financially in terms of healthcare costs, but also an emotional strain and a time strain and just an everything strain. Um, in terms of dealing with all of these issues, uh, are there resources in the general community out there? How, how do people find things uh, for them if they don't have somebody who's like a, a navigator like Monique? Well, so, right. And I think actually our this program, this navigation program that we've started here in New Haven, and, and um, we'd love to be able to expand it um, statewide, but we do sort of work through as we can through um, the cancer care centers that are part of our healthcare system. And the other thing I would say is one discusses this with their providers and uh, most hospitals do have um, social services available. Well, we're going to pick up this conversation right after we take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about addressing cancer disparities in the community with my guests, Dr. Beth Jones and Monique Stefano. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital, where you can view videos from their integrative medicine team by searching Yale Cancer Center Integrative Medicine Playlist on YouTube. It's estimated that over 240,000 men in the U.S. will be diagnosed with prostate cancer this year, with over 3,000 new cases being identified here in Connecticut. One in eight American men will develop prostate cancer in the course of his lifetime. Major advances in the detection and treatment of prostate cancer have dramatically decreased the number of men who die from the disease. Screening can be performed quickly and easily in a physician's office using two simple tests, a physical exam and a blood test. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and its Milo Cancer Hospital, where doctors are also using the Artemis machine which enables targeted biopsies to be performed. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guests, Dr. Beth Jones and Monique Stefano. We're talking about cancer disparities and cancer, and the fact that there's differences in terms of healthcare outcomes uh, for patients with cancer that aren't really due to the cancer itself necessarily, but often due to just the social circumstances that a patient may find themselves in. Those resources that are available to some and may not be so available to others. So Monique, I want to start with you and pick up that conversation. Right before the break, we were talking about the fact that you and Beth have set up a wonderful program and you uh, serve both as a cancer educator as well as a cancer navigator, often helping patients to find resources in their area that might be helpful. Everything from where to find low cost or uh, options for food or physical activity or things that can help get them through the day uh, when they're faced with a, a cancer diagnosis. 
you know, for people who um, might be listening to this, are there ways that they can find some of these resources without necessarily connecting to your program? Where where can people find these types of resources? I think it's really important to recognize that um, hospital systems, even throughout the nation, they all have a social work or some type of navigation service where somebody could call and find out what resources are available. A lot of times people simply do not know what's available. Yes, there are some systems that may have more resources than others, but that's a good starting point is to call either the cancer center where they're getting treatment or the local hospital system to find out what types of social services are offered, what types of navigation support may be offered. A lot of times um, different systems use different words. So one system may use patient navigator, another person may say coordinator. So just to have that initial conversation would be important. And Beth, are there other kind of national organizations, perhaps philanthropic organizations or um, other societies um, where patients can turn if they have cancer that might be able to provide things like, you know, even things like transportation to get to your, your appointments or assistance when you need help paying the rent? Right. So certainly um, in the state of Connecticut, and I believe it's nationwide, there's a 211 system. And this is not just for patients, but they can people can dial 211 and get a lot of information about availability of services that they can access locally. And then, uh, you know, if you're for a patient, just to just to share, certainly if one of the first things when one is diagnosed is just learning about that, um, uh, about what they're facing and knowing how to interact with their physicians, what kinds of questions to ask. And so there are websites such as the American Cancer Society's website, the National Cancer Institute, where there's a lot of information. One has to be, you know, I would strongly advise that people go to those organizations where the information is well um, vetted by scientists and um, be careful about just reading anything on the internet because, as we know, there's a lot of information on the internet which is not um, accurate. Monique, the other question that a lot of people might have, and this goes back to, you know, kind of those sociodemographics that we were talking about and the fact that, you know, some people might have healthcare insurance and it might be very robust and um, other people may not have healthcare insurance. And that might be a barrier, not only for them, you know, paying for care, but even seeking care to begin with. Um, any advice for people in terms of how to manage healthcare costs? Because these days, even if you do have insurance, the bill can be hefty and it still is one of the leading causes of bankruptcy in this nation. So how do people address healthcare costs, whether it's costs to see the doctor or, or costs to cover treatments? That's a, a really great question. And I would say a couple of things on that. One, for somebody who has been um, diagnosed with a cancer diagnosis um, like I mentioned before, going back to the hospital system or the cancer center and asking them what resources are available. For somebody who actually hasn't had a diagnosis and is just looking to stay healthy and at the same time manage maybe uh, a chronic illness, it's important to also develop relationships with the primary care system. There are programs for helping people all along the spectrum, whether they meet 
be a patient um, with a cancer diagnosis or somebody who's overcoming a chronic illness. So to find out from either primary care providers or even um, local community organizations often also are aware of what resources may be able to help individuals in these situations. You know, I would just add to that that um, certainly the federally qualified health centers um, are are wonderful resources for primary care. So as Monique alluded to, one of the things we're really interested in is preventing cancer or finding it early. So cancer screenings, and that usually depends on sort of an interaction with a primary care provider. But we often find that people don't don't have a designated primary care provider and they think that they um, they need um, resources or insurance to do so. But a good starting point is to contact a local FQHC, Federally Qualified Health Center. Um, they're in all of our, uh, they're throughout the state of Connecticut and also throughout the country. And Beth, do you find those, how do you find those? I mean, if you're a patient, you're listening to this show and you're thinking, well, geez, you know, I, I really need to see somebody. I really need to get my screening. I I don't have insurance, which is one of the reasons why I haven't seen anybody. But man, if I can get started by seeing somebody and maybe getting some screenings for free at a federally qualified health center, that sounds pretty good. But I don't know where that is or what that is. How, how do I find that? Well, so just to clarify, um, FQHCs do take insurance and many patients have insurance. So, um, so they don't, uh, it, so the, I think there is a mechanism where they would work with people who don't have any insurance, but certainly um, they do take insurance, which is important. But I would, you know, go to the internet and look up federally qualified health center, um, primary care at a local level. And that's probably a good way to just get started. Um, and there are also wonderful centers with, um, you know, a lot of expertise. Often the, the physicians are, are dealing, or, you know, their patient load is actually from your same community in which you're living. So they have a lot of, um, expertise and, and do know the safety net services that might be available um, to help patients with the other aspects of their life. And I would just make another point and sort of why we are thinking about navigation. Um, certainly, I when, you, when we started this conversation, you were asking me, you know, I started off as a researcher and then started thinking about not just myself, but, the, you know, with, with this wonderful team. And I should say it's not just Monique and myself. Um, we have a team of folks, but how to translate what we know about cancer into community action. Um, but, but there are um, um, many, many resources and programs um, that help us. Um, sort of the idea is that if, if somebody's really um, preoccupied by their, the barriers that they face just in day-to-day life, it's going to be hard for them to prioritize their health. And so our goal is really to address those issues. Yeah. You know, Monique, getting back to kind of uh, some of the issues that people may face, one of the things, and and Beth, I, I think you'll corroborate this, is that a lot of science has found that there are differences in terms of outcome based on insurance status, where people who have insurance controlling for all other factors tend to do worse than people who don't have insurance. So when people are listening to this, if they don't have insurance, um, and that may be because either they 
are scared about how much money it'll cost to get insurance or they don't know how to get insurance or perhaps they have a pre-existing condition and they're worried that um, that may uh, have ramifications in terms of their insurance. Um, how do how do we kind of get around that? Do you have advice for people on that? That's another uh, great question. I would say a couple of things on that, and then I will also defer back to Beth. I think it's really important um, for all of us, and even for those that may be listening, to be very connected to what's actually happening within your community. There are a lot of times where people who might have been afraid of addressing insurance or even going through that have found community members who have gone through the same issue. And because of their connectedness to their community, they were able to find resources. And I would say that for all those that may be listening, it's really important to stay connected to community. There are local organizations throughout the nation where they're doing the same thing, that we're having the same conversations that we're having and pulling together these resources. And that's another way in which you could find somebody in a like-minded situation who might also be able to help you through the process, but also point you to the right direction and encourage you along the way. Um, what I would just add to that is that um, the, there's also sort of an issue sometimes of, you know, what we kind of refer to as insurance literacy. So um, not too long ago, actually, uh, there was a, an individual who came through our program and and on her own, before she came to us, was looking for help with tobacco treatment and was um, she just, you know, somebody mentioned the word copay just about insurance. And she immediately sort of thought that she wouldn't be able to manage the copay. And in fact, you know, with the navigator's help, she was able to um, uh, find out that had that explained to her that the copay did not explain to her did not apply to her situation. Since then, she's gotten tobacco treatment and quit smoking and um, just kind of really wonderful story and speaks to the role that navigators can play in helping um, people understand their insurance. But we, I think there's not one among us who wouldn't say that understanding their full insurance coverage is not, uh, you know, a, a bit of a, a difficulty and a challenge at times. Um, here in Connecticut, though, we do have, you know, when you say um, I, we we uh, our our non-insured um, group is actually smaller than in some states, and an important thing to remember is that when it comes to cancer prevention, those screening tests are actually um, covered. There is not charges that go along with them, and as long as a annual physical. Yeah, so important, right? And and I think that in in every state in the union, there are now federal exchanges often uh, that are governed on the state basis where people can sign up. Um, for insurance, and it doesn't matter if you've had pre-existing conditions, and and as you say, uh, screenings are covered by those. I I do want to come back to screening though, which is so important. Um, oftentimes people may not know uh, what screenings they need, may not know where to get them, or have a lot of information about that. So, um, Beth, ha Monique, uh, maybe I'll I'll start with Beth, and Monique, you can chime in. Um, how do you address that? Well, we actually, I mean, if somebody has a primary care provider, their primary care provider should certainly be aware of the cancer screenings that um, they need. And as you, as we all 
it it's often depends on your age. It also sometimes depends on your family history, um, whether you're just an average risk person for a specific cancer, or you might have a heightened um, risk based on that cancer or a similar or a different cancer being prevalent in your family. And so your doctor may want you to start that cancer screening early. One of the things that is changing, and it's a great opportunity to get the word out is uh, recently, you know, we've always advocated, we meaning the, the uh, uh, medical professions, um, starting colorectal cancer screening at age 50. But in the last year, the guideline has been um, changed to starting that at age 45. And that's a really important um, cancer screening that could prevent a lot of cancer uh, illness and as well as death. Yeah. Monique, any last minute words on getting your cancer screening? Yes. Lastly, I would just say to encourage everyone to talk to their provider and ask them, you know, what screen- cancer screenings may I be eligible for it? A lot of times we wait for um, the providers to speak to us, but I would just advocate for our patients to also ask the question. Monique Stefanu is a community health educator, and Dr. Beth Jones is a research scientist and lecturer in epidemiology at the Yale School of Public Health. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.